Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. Hello, welcome to Impact the World and thanks for tuning in. If you are a fan of the show and you usually watch on YouTube, please do subscribe on our YouTube channel so that you never miss a show and you'll also get notified about the other great video content that we release for free every week. Or if you're listening over on Apple Podcasts, it really helps us if you subscribe and leave us a rating or a review. Today's show is one I'm very excited to bring to you because it's somebody that I have known now for nine years and am a real fan of his music. East Forest, otherwise known as Trevor Oswalt, has been producing ethereal and medicinal and shamanic music for over a decade. And I first heard about him around 2011, 2012, and I, I share the story of how we got connected at the top of the interview, but this is a real conversation about his musical journey, how he has approached doing it himself and figuring out how to develop what he does in, at the time, a decade ago, a pretty underserved niche, but how his work and his reach and also his evolution have really grown over the past decade. So I loved this conversation. He's just released a brand new album and you can find that album and all of his work over at eastforest.org. But for now, I invite you to take a deep dive into the heart, mind and soul of Trevor Oswalt, aka East Forest. Enjoy. So Trevor, it's really kind of trippy to have you on the show. I mean, number one, I'm delighted you're on the show because I am a big fan of your music. Um, but also it's trippy because the first time we, I went and checked today, the first time you and I had an email exchange was March of 2012. And not long after that, I had a radio show for a couple of years called One Golden World. And I asked you if I could use some of your tracks uh, from your album Love Bomb. Um, as the theme music and everything and you said yes and then so it's kind of it's lovely to kind of see this full circle moment nine months later and to have you on this show and also just the progression of all your work over this last nine years has been amazing to witness yeah thank you it's good to see you again um march 2012 that so that's just a few months after we thought the world was supposed to transcend or end and uh, everyone's like here we are continuing on now it's been almost 10 years later yeah and a lot a lot has happened for you so as as i mean i've i've shared this with you but i i have several of your albums on vinyl i'm a vinyl lover so thank you um, and i just most recently got this one which is your uh your which i love the artwork by the way it's this album it's your symbol with ram das's face and uh yeah it's it's a really, I mean, we'll get into the Ramdas album a little later on. But firstly, perhaps tell us, how did this journey that you've been on um, come about? I guess it came about from being depressed and unhappy with my life in the world as a, as a kid. And just feeling that there was more, but not having any 
way to access that. Um, and the first glimpses of that probably came through certain altered consciousness states with psychedelics in college or after that, just here and there, where I touched into particular spaces that were profoundly important and real to me, where I felt there was a meaning to all the things I've been searching for, but I didn't know what to do with it. And later on in my late 20s, I think uh, as things started to expand for me more through a series of just combining events, uh, as the stage is usually set that way, it just sort of unfolds, I became really interested in how music and the intersection of music and these heightened altered states can combine and how I could maybe reliably help myself get to these places through meditation and music. And that became the exploration that became East Forest. And it really happened from a very organic process of me creating music for myself to use as a tool. And it just grew from there. Well, it's interesting because you, you saying that, that something that has been written about your music, which I wrote down, is sonic architecture for listeners to explore their inner space. And I remember it was your good friend Day who first introduced me to you and your music, and I was immediately in. Number one, because you were so, at the time, piano and keyboard-based, and, you know, piano has always been a resonant instrument for me, but I was fascinated by this blend of worlds that you were creating between the organic field recordings, the more, if you like, classical or traditional instrumentation, and then electronica, and this fusion that you created absolutely put me into those more transcendent states that you speak about. And that was before you were so directly working, creating music for mushroom ceremonies and some of the things that you've done in recent years. So how, how long did it take for you to kind of crack the formula, if you like? Like, was there a pivotal moment where you felt like you'd landed on something that, that you were able to create and recreate in different ways? It's funny because I was always making music for mushroom ceremonies from the beginning. I just didn't talk about it. Right. So really what changed is I started talking about it <laughs> later on. Probably around 2018, I released an album called Music for Mushrooms, a soundtrack for the psychedelic practitioner. And that was it's a very uh, intentionally forthright title. And that was when I thought that it was time to not just release music that that is a valuable tool in these uh, therapeutic spaces, but really comes out and talks about the how and the why and get into that conversation. And I think I was just picking up on the wavelengths culturally, the waves that were happening, because it's it's much more, there's so, there's, there's so much interest in this now and things like Michael Pollan's book that came out around that time and many, many other things. And so uh, I think that synthesized things for me. But, you know, I'm not, the, like, the psychedelic experience is, is not at all the purpose of my work or the core of my work. It's a part of my work. It's the icing on the cake. I mean, the cake is accessed through many, many doorways, just the human experience itself. So I'm really just interested, I guess, as you said, in exploring the inner space and finding your own inherent wisdom and knowledge, clearing away the noise to access what is already there. Uh, so uh, 
I just happened to have one of the doorways I came up through was for myself was creating music to to guide the psychedelic experience, particularly psilocybin. But uh, like I said, that's not that's like that's the map. It's not the territory in a sense, and I didn't want to get it confused. Hmm. And how how did it all begin for you in childhood with music? Like what 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 role did music play in your life when you were a kid? And how were you playing or creating music as a kid? It's mostly in public school, like uh, choir, band, and really just enjoying it, like having a really good time being in choir and being in jazz choir and taking voice lessons and singing in musicals. I just liked doing all that stuff. I had a an aptitude to to sing in groups and I played saxophone in the band and a little piano. I wasn't very good at piano and didn't enjoy it actually. It just took some lessons for a few years as a kid. And it was just something that was a creative expression. And I think I was a kid who really liked to be a class clown and it was a way for me to be seen and and to express myself and probably without knowing it like feel that nourishment of digging into music and I wasn't writing songs when I was a kid I was just playing and performing whatever I was told to do with with other groups and stuff and so there was sort of the second phase of it was more in my young adulthood when I started to create music and then that was a whole other like huge expansion of like oh my god this is now it's like feeding itself um and then the third phase was probably you start to slowly hone in on the kind of music you want to make. Uh, and I never think that's a settled place. It's always evolving and growing, but it's like chipping away at a sculpture. Mm-hmm. You start to, over time, see the shape. And you can continue to work on it, but you don't want to hack off an arm. You could. You know, maybe get in your abstract days as you get older and you're like, no torso. <laughs> but uh, it, it's something that emerged over time. Well, one of the things I remember about when I first discovered you, again, it was like 2012 or it may have been end of 2011, I appreciated how fully formed you were as a musician, both in terms of the sense I got of your identity, but also the fact that you were out there doing it and you had figured out how to put it out into the world, which I think is often a stopping point for a lot of creatives. Like they might have a vision or an idea, or they might like creating art, but intersecting it or bringing it to the world or taking it to a marketplace for want of a better term can be a barrier for some. But you seemed to have that DIY musician thing down very early. Was that in you, the, a kind of either an entrepreneurial nature or a part of you that was just determined to kind of craft this and get it out to the world yourself honestly i think there wasn't another option you know when you're making long form experimental instrument instrumental music there are no partners <laughs> they're like the world is generally saying no to you but thankfully uh i came about inside this digital revolution right at the beginning of it where you could release you could first make it without having to be inside the studio system and you could also then distribute it. And this is back in the MySpace days, but that was a huge benefit for me. It just allowed me to do it at all. And and I was very much interested in the spirit of the gift, particularly at the beginning, because I had no path that I could see in front of me where I could 
I didn't even know how I could perform it live, to be honest, early on. And so I was really just kind of putting it out there as just you know, if a few people uh, had some experience with it that was valuable to them, that felt enough. Uh, I, I still feel that way. And it becomes trickier down the road when it becomes more of a career and uh, and there's a business to it, uh, which is to stay like on course about thinking back to that beginning, like, you know, why am I doing this? What is it I want to put out there? And, and what are my North, what's my North star? Mm. And so I, I guess I coming from all those years as a kid and like theater and music and, you know, putting yourself out there, it wasn't uncomfortable for me at all to put myself out there and say, Hey, Hey, you know, I'm being the ambassador of something, but I also wasn't, you know, previously before the East Forest project, I was very much wrapped up in other projects that were just kind of hammering away at like, what do people want? And I let all that go with this. It was more, what do I want? And what nourishes me? And if I really tap into that, it's going to resonate with others because that's a universal human experience. If there's something authentic about that, I mean, I see it in others and other artists. And that's really what we want. We don't want to be given what someone thinks we want in a sense, because usually it's there's a it's sort of vapid. You know, it doesn't doesn't have the same um, realness. And that realness is a kind of reflection. And that's something it's a kind of witnessing of one another, of of the soul. And and that's what the music does for me. You know, it when I when I can, when I sometimes ride these certain states where it combines in a certain way, it makes me feel this tether of connection that's always there, but now it feels very real and clear and present to all that is. And that's, I, I'm a drug addict to all that is. <laughs> like, I just want more. I want to return to God. And it's it's a reliable way for me to explore that space through the spirit of creativity. It's interesting hearing you talking about live work because... It takes me back to, um, I think it was 2013 when you came through Boulder, Colorado, where I was living at the time. Yeah. And uh, I had a, at the time, I had a, a little musical side project that I just started with um, my friend Marty in Colorado. And you, you invited us to come and support you at the gig you were doing, which was, you know, fantastic. Um, but what I remember about your gig live having at that point probably become very familiar with three of your albums. Um, it was nice because even in a progressive environment like Boulder, what you were doing on the stage felt very ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. And I know recently there was a New York Times article, I think, I think it was New York Times that you, you, were, you were interviewed for. And it was really about the emergence of a new consciousness in music, which is something that you know, me and my musical collaborator, DeVore, talk about all the time and my team. And you you made a really good point. I'm paraphrasing, but you were basically saying it's interesting to see all this stuff that, you know, was taboo nine, ten years ago or, or just wasn't talked about or people were scared to talk about it is now just becoming a little a little more normal. And for you, who's been out there doing that for, for so long, watching it come to fruition. So there's something there about, you know, the time is now. And I, I really feel like when you shared with us about your Mushrooms uh, album and you started to talk more overtly about this, um, it's interesting because from my observation, 
that seemed to be when your work really took another growth, uh, growth, growth moment, just as an observer and a, and a fan of your music. The mycelial spread, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, I've, I've do my best, and I'm, I'm sure you do this too, to just really speak about what is true for you. And I know that early on, when I would speak about certain things, that had to do about psychedelics. A lot of there are a lot of people who did not want to talk about that. You know, like that was sort of okay. Let's move on from this subject. You know, oh God, oh I could see the cringiness in them, and I wasn't there. I'm not like. It's so strange to be honest. I don't work with them that often, but I'm always talking about them with people, and everyone's asking me about it. I'm like, I don't know. It's it's been a big teacher in my life, but it it really again comes down to what are the different tools we have at hand right now to thread the needle through this great transition that we're going through as a people on this planet? And that comes down to the individual. What do, what are the tools we can use? And there are many tools, but that happens to be for some people a very powerful tool in the toolkit. It's not a panacea. Um, and I'm interested in making tools, experiences, it doesn't have to be music, you know, it could be a podcast or it could be a retreat, it could be a book. They're all different doorways for people to enter into that space. And I think there's something larger that's speaking through all of us. And I'm just part of that same wave we're all on of this emergence of of change, which on the other side of its, the other polarity of that is the destruction, the death, the composting of the other systems, which we see around us. And it's very difficult. It's a lot of suffering there, but it's connected to what is rising up uh, from the soil. And, and so I think I'm just no different than anyone else who's, who's just sort of picking up on that. And we each can trust in our own unique way how our gifts are, you know, what part of the chorus we sing. And it's unique for each of us and important for each of us. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, I don't know like all of it. I never will, but you, you just kind of feel it and follow those breadcrumbs. And um, hopefully it's, there's some kind of indicator or barometer of, of how, if it feels good or if you're following your bliss or, uh, it's that you enjoy it, I would hope. Yeah. <laughs> Not all of it, but, you know, I mean, you know, everybody, it's all as it's grist for the mill, of course. Yeah, I, I think it's it's funny because the I have a I have a very close friend who is kind of stepping out in a in a more creative way than than before. And uh, we were having a conversation about about uh, creativity as, as a path and as a, as a purpose and as a mission. Um, because in her mind, she, she said, well, you're always just so happy because you're always, you're totally doing what you want to do and creating. And I went, yeah, but creativity is everything. It's, it's edgy. It's uncomfortable. It's, I said, I think it's just that you calibrate to the process a bit more. So you're not afraid when you're uncomfortable or you're not afraid when you're having, uh, small thoughts about things. Uh, you know how to kind of not let that stop the creativity coming through you. But something you just said that that aspect of the way that we can be purpose driven with what we're doing, which is what I take from you. Like you said, it doesn't matter what form 
you're using, um, you know, you're addicted to all that is and God. And so therefore you are using many different ways to kind of bring that path through. But it doesn't surprise me that people ask you a lot about mushrooms, because if you think about it, I think anything that's newly taboo in society or kind of no longer taboo or it's in an emerging process, we're, we're very black and white in the world and we've been conditioned that way. So if someone can talk about something that we don't normally talk about, you know, you kind of get lumped in that role. But but what I see of you and what I hear from you is, you know, you're, you're, you're purpose driven around all the different things that you're doing in the hope that it can help someone else have an epiphany or compost in a, in an easier way. I don't know if what I said. Yeah, just I agree. I agree. And, you know, I, I guess I do have some unique history guiding mushrooms ceremonies. And, and so that's unusual, I suppose. So it, there is like my own personal kind of protocol we created out of music and our experience with it that I do want to share. And I understand that. And I get that there's maybe very little, there's just not much out there to, to talk, you know, so I get that. Um, but otherwise it's all, you know, in the creative process, it's not mind. Like the mind is the thing that's like, this is going well, this is going poorly. I want this. I want that. I got this. I didn't get that. I got that. You know, the process itself is one that's just of your body and of your heart. And it's a process. It's like, it's waves. And so the practice over time has become the mind still does that, but I just you become less attached to it. You trust in the larger waves of like, yeah, there's going to be these waves. So this one that's happening now, I just see it. Ah, there it is. Another wave. Continue on. And I think before it was a bit more sticky, you know, mm. concerned or or this or that. Um, and that's been a lot of my work lately. It's just trusting, trusting uh, each step along the way. Because my friction has something to do with pushing and mm. gripping too tightly. And my medicine has to do with, with loosening that grip and trusting more mm. what is. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, I, <coughs> I, I know for me, a friction point many, many years ago was probably a certain level of perfectionism that I you know, beautifully managed to dissolve by like, just keep doing things, <laughs> keep, keep doing many things. And you haven't got time for, but you know, perfection yeah. starts to become a luxury or, you know, the thing that maybe I used to have before my creativity was my job. And it was, it was either an escape or, a, or, a, you know, a, a kind of a salvation for me. So, yeah. Yeah. This, like, we were just talking before I, st I was trying to clean up this background and it doesn't feel like perfection, but in some ways it is perfection. It's like, I'm glad you didn't. I, I love I it. I love a tidy space, but I also just have a lot. There's a lot in process. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. No. And I got excited when I saw it. Cause it's like a busy music studio is heaven to me. And my desk, if you well, actually, my desk is fairly tidy, but I can't take the credit for that. There's someone else here who uh, occasionally comes in and tidies up my desk for me. But, um, no, I get it. I'm I'm curious about your field recordings because that was something I really connected with on those first few albums, especially when you are going out into nature. Are you intentionally going out to create 
certain recordings or is it more a case of you've just always got the recorder on you and just as you're inspired you capture something and then later you bring it into a piece that you're working on yeah, it's 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 more the latter it's when you hear something that really touches you in a certain way uh, it's an attempt to get it onto a recording because it often carries that that energy mm-hmm. with it in the recording I mean, there was one time when I went to Maui to work with Ramdas and record him. I was there about a week, so I had time where I wasn't meeting with him a lot of time. And I, I thought it'd be fun to record the sounds basically around his, well, on Maui, his home. And so I had that intention. But then it's sort of an attunement. Your ears are just always kind of listening for things. And I wanted that to be the backdrop when there are field recordings in that album, that they're all from around his home essentially sense of space right you know yeah yeah and you can hear that on the record so how did that 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 album come about what was the seed for you and he working together in that way oh i mean the seed was having an idea and he is someone who's been a teacher and inspiration of mine for many years but i hadn't met him and i just I'd worked with spoken word of people I'd recorded here and there, including myself and others. And so I felt a familiarity. I felt like a very clear vision of where it could go. Not specifically, but I felt like I felt good about like if I could get some samples of him, I felt strongly we could create something special. But I also only work with field recordings that I record myself. And that ethos isn't like rigid for no reason. It's more like What's given to me? What colors is literally given to me? And it also allows him to choose in some way what he wants to talk about. Uh, I gave him some questions on the spot to spur some kind of response, but he's a, he was a master poet and trickster and comedian. And so I thought that was a lot more fun. And I also wanted to capture the gravitas and the wisdom in his voice that was present really at the end of his life. He was pretty old when we met and not in the best of health. And so I think we all knew he wasn't going to be living a long time. We certainly didn't anticipate that he would he would die a couple days after the last installment of the record came out. Like it really was, I believe it became his last recorded teachings. Uh, didn't know that. That would have probably been too much pressure to endure, to be honest. But so it, it it unfolded very naturally, and I had a relationship that I was sort of forming in the ether with his uh, guru, Neem Karoli Baba, or otherwise known as Maharaji. And I had read a book and been inspired during a really low time in my life, and printed a picture and started to kind of have these conversations in my head, and just felt like it was this quiet, stern teacher in my life. And uh, it, I could keep seeing the points, these like, these milestones where he would appear very strongly, synchronistically. And then one of them happened, a concrescence in a sense, when I was with, the very moment I was sitting down, I hit record, and there was this picture behind Ram Dass, and I, it was Maharaji, and he was laughing, and I felt like he was laughing at me, just sort of like, like, when are you going to get it kind of thing, you know, here you, it's raw, here, you know, under the blanket. And it was a big moment for me. And, and Ram Dass was just kind of smiling at me, sort of saying like, right, right. <laughs> and I sort of backing up Maharaji. And it's continued. 
to this day, it's, it's just continued to blossom and it feels very alive. Hmm. And the record, even though uh, I've, I've completed the, the, the record, um, I still perform songs from it and I press a button and I hear like a phrase of Ram Dass come through the speakers and it's cool. You know, it's a really cool feeling to be like uh, in service to that and helping keep it alive. It's funny because, you know, I got the record about a week before, uh, yeah, about a week before I saw a concert, which I'll share on in a minute. But what struck me hearing his voice, so I was not super familiar with Ram Dass. I mean, I, of oh, course, huh? I, I'd known about him for maybe 20, 20 odd years. Um, I had maybe seen one video, maybe a decade ago or something. Um, but what struck me when I first heard his opening words was I was like, oh, wow, this is a very different hymn. This is a, like you said, you, 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 you can only, a very unique time in his life and not a time that, that I was used to hearing him in, in, yeah. in that very much the frequency of his voice was completely different and was very much of his age and of his health. And so firstly, I found that fascinating as a record and a document. But it's funny you bring up playing live, uh, playing, bringing him through on stage. I just watched Cheryl Crow's live stream from her home. And one of my favorite things she's done in recent years is Johnny Cash, days before, I mean, I think months before he died, he recorded an incredible vocal of one of her best songs, I think, Redemption Day. And she created a duet with him and she'll have him sometimes live on stage. And she was talking about the, she could feel his lineage. You know, whenever she's with, it was very moving to her to get to sing with him, even though he was a friend, she could feel the lineage in his, in his age and his wisdom. And I, I had a similar reaction hearing what you'd done here with Ramdas, And I thought that was pretty special, especially as in our Western society and culture, um, we've successfully devalued our elders. Um, if you look at the way that we treat the elderly in our society versus the consciousness of people who live in a more tribal way or a, or a culture where people give the, the due reverence to someone who has lived a long time and seen a lot of these cycles. That was definitely one of the motivations was to, to honor him as an elder and to highlight exactly where he was in that moment. Mm. Um, and he also was able to come alive inside the music because he had aphasia and had a, he had a stroke that caused this aphasia where he had difficulty speaking. But he, I took out those pauses or I just moved his phrases around the music so now your brain doesn't hear them. And he came alive. He's just like, and with his full prowess. Hmm. That that was really beautiful to see. Did he, uh, was he happy with the record? Did he hear it? Yeah. I didn't get to ever like sit with him and listen, but when I, I had some early songs done, they listened to it. And I remember after he heard I Am Loving Awareness with his, his dear friend, Krishna Das, it was the first time they'd been on a track together and, they're like weaving around each other. And um, I heard that he was really pleased and wanted wanted them to, you know, get behind it and help get it out there. Beautiful, beautiful. And the remix album that you did, um, I'm I'm getting a little caught up in discography here, but was it was it the Ramdas album or was it the Mushrooms album? You you had a remix Ramdass, album. Yeah. So it was Ramdass. we we have um, there's the Ramdas album, 
just titled Ramdas, and then there was a, a, a reworks was another name for remix reworks album where some other artists took mm-hmm. the songs and reworked them some amazing artists and then we have like an instrumental version of the record so sort of three iterations i have about seven of hammock's vinyl records i love hammock so yeah. when i saw that happening that intersection i was like oh this is lovely that you guys have collaborated yeah their their version of dark thoughts is just stunning um <laughs> And they were the first ones to come on board. So I just want to speak some gratitude for them because that really helped us then get others, you know. Yeah. Get, the first one's always the hard one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but they're, they're mute. The, the worlds they create are just stunning. Yeah, sublime. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's pivot a little and talk about podcasting. How did you get into the podcasting space and, and how have you experienced it? I started a podcast in 2010. And it was called Sound Healing Bites with East Forest. It's no longer out there. But I got up to about 64 episodes and it was just music. It was just like an improvisation, little meditation. So maybe be 10, 15 minutes. And it, it was an interesting process. But I eventually was sort of embarrassed by the music and took it down. <laughs> Felt a little too raw. Um but it did. I did take ten of those and turn it into an album called uh, "Music Meditations," an old album of mine. Hmm. Which, so something came out of that. But it always was in my mind that I wanted to uh, try it again, but more in the conversational space, and and sometimes music, and sometimes there's meditations on there. And so it just took me a while to get it off the ground, uh, but I'm glad I did. It's been about three years now, weekly which surprises me that it's maintained its weekly schedule this entire time. But it's been, it's been amazing as an opportunity to uh, meet people and actually really get to know them. And then on top of that, even people I already know, it's, if you just take an hour and kind of you're in that listening role, it's so different than just totally. hanging out. So I'm like, oh, this is actually, I gain a lot from this as just being a listener and and learning and just diving into people's world it's it's i kind of have this part of me that really enjoys being a server like i like i like hosting and taking care of people sometimes <laughs> and it's it's this server role where you're just kind of like trying to like nourish and coax something out of them very gently and take a back seat yourself which so i enjoy that yeah yeah beautiful i hear you and Patreon as well is something that you moved into, which is a model I really, I really like and admire and I've known about for several years and I support a few different people on Patreon. How have you found that model where you have a direct relationship with your community and they're, they're sponsoring what you're doing? It's a new experiment. I'm, I, I can't say the jury is out on how, how I feel about it, but it's only been a little while where I just, I was doing these, uh, things I call the council during the pandemic where we were do a, a live stream ceremony concert, sort of a long form meditative type concert. And before and after, maybe the day before the morning after I had an opportunity for a smaller group of people to get on zoom and we could have this sort of council. And out of that, some people wanted to keep doing it, but I wasn't always going to be doing the live stream. So I thought, well, how could I organize this and I just sort of thought, well, if I used a platform like Patreon, we could do that, but I could also do other things like unreleased music or anything, really. Um, so it's different ways for me to share something with a private group, essentially, and I don't have to be so 
precious about like, oh God, this is going out to the world. It's like, hey guys, I just recorded, like I went on a hike and I was in this, in Southern Utah and I was in this beautiful uh, canyon with these Anastasi uh, petroglyphs. And I just sat down and like had a shaker and I just made up this little medicine song. It's like 10 minutes. And so I gave that to them and it's not going to be anywhere else. But then sometimes we'll do AMAs where it's, and then I'll, I'll make basically a private podcast um, or we'll do live streams or, you know, whatever we want. So it's, it's a work in process, but I'm always just, as we kind of talked about at the beginning, exploring different ways to deepen my relationship and for to become a sort of reciprocal community. Mm. And and I love what you said about, you know, the it's different to the public. We I have a you know, I actually the portal members community that we've had now for eight years and you actually gave some music in the first couple of I think the first year we did it, we used to spotlight different people every month. And so yeah. if anyone's still in the portal who's been there for eight years, then they will have got some of your music through the portal way back. But I love, there's a completely different level of intimacy for me in there. So there are things, there are things I will share and places we will go that I wouldn't necessarily do on YouTube on the bigger platforms. It's just, you know, I think it's nice to have that range and have a slightly more intimate, closer experience with people. Yeah. I think, I think when you feel supported to you, there's a certain level of openness that comes up. So I, I totally agree. And it's, it's nice to have different like levels of intimacy that you have yeah. with people as we do in life. And so it's kind of fun to have sort of a smaller public space yeah. versus just the public space. And it's easier to go back to your point about serving and hosting. It's easier for me to know how to serve my portal community. I never quite know how the bigger stuff's going to go in the, you know, in the wider world, but you right. kind of know your group and you know, and you hear, and it's a feedback loop. So you, you learn what they need, what they're looking for, what they're, so it's, it's kind of that makes serving a bit, I won't say easier, just different. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all, I mean, it's one thing I missed in the pandemic was not having that feedback of just energy going back and forth mm. between audiences or people of any kind. So yeah. I, I, I learned how that nourishes me and probably all of us. Yeah. What, what would you say were, you know, one or two of the, the major gifts for you uh, through the lockdown of 2020 and 2021, either surprising or, um, or just things that emerged that were gifts? Well, surprising, this sounds somewhat pedantic, but the same weekend that the lockdown started uh, in that March, maybe the second weekend, my, I, I ended my relationship with my, my management at the time, which is a, it's sort of like it's back end behind the scene things, but just to let people know, like as an artist, your relationship with your manager is extremely close. Yeah. And so it was this big deal where it felt like not only was the world changing and falling apart, but it felt like my entire uh, business team, it was, <coughs> excuse me, falling apart. And I felt very alone and I wasn't really sure. I mean, not only did all, all of my plans go away, but then I was like, I don't even, and then if I even were to move forward, how's this going to, I don't know how it's going to look. So it was very, uh, scary and there's a lot of stress. I hit, I got a lot of stress, but as I moved through it over the months, um, I've come out the other side where I realized the strengths I've 
been given and found and had to, could reorient and completely look at things a different way. Hmm. And through that, I've had a, a very transformative year. And I don't know still exactly where that's going to go, but I feel that was a surprise. It's not how I expected things to go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, and that also ties into on all levels, personal, professional. Uh, it was about the trusting and the letting go and not trying to beat things over the head to make them happen or push them or wrangle them. There's always a bit of that, of course. And that's, that's the, the art of the Tao of, of working in the space. But, you know, if you, for any of us who are in the wellness space, which is this large blanket, <laughs> multi-billion dollar, whatever it is, I do not want to be creating more noise. I really don't want to be a part of putting people to sleep. I just want to be a part of uh, touching our hearts and celebrating this this great process and doing that through the humbleness of not knowing everything. But at the same time, we know everything. And so there's, in some ways, there's nothing to figure out, right? Uh, but there's this great dance and, and song and celebration happening from billions of voices. Mm. And I want to be a part of that chorus in a way that feels uh, it's I'm singing the note as I'm supposed to sing it. And sometimes I'm on off and sometimes I forget but it's always there. Like the song is always there to tune with. Mm. And that's the process. Mm. Beautiful. Did you end up, because you would have, I'm guessing, had quite a bit of time free up because you probably had various travel or touring or facilitating booked um, in the space that got created for you? Did you did you go towards creation? Did you go towards living? Was it a little bit of both? I guess both, but uh, I was lucky that I'm largely a solo artist. I work with lots of people, but I had the ability and familiarity to just continue creating. That's home base. So uh, yeah, I, I, I got this record called Possible together that's currently been releasing and it culminates in full release in July 23rd. And another record called In, which is a volume two to the music for Mushrooms. Mm. And the In record is currently uh, on the Field Trip. There's a company called Field Trip. They have this app called Trip. And it's it's exclusively on their app right now, but it, it'll see a wider release later on too. So both of those projects came out of the pandemic. One of them was live stream ceremonies that I never would have expected. I never would have done that. And that created the In album. And those are improvisational and medicine-based. And the other one was a studio record. And that's the Possible album. That's more like contemporary, classical-ish, like some of my other work. So, yeah, I kept I kept moving ahead. I also started working on a book and was head deep into this whole process with that. And But I really enjoyed not hopping around on airplanes all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I... Similar to you, I have the luxury of being a creator and, you know, being online for a long time. So, uh, yeah, for us too, I personally loved not traveling. I was sad we had to cancel certain events for the people that we would have been with and served and seen. But 
I was kind of glad to be able to, uh, it, it kind of, it made me completely reassess how much I wanted to travel in the future, especially when a lot of the work that we do can be done, you know, from a, from a stamp, from a, from a standpoint of creating at home. That said, you can't beat being in a room with people. So it's a, it's a double edged. Yeah, I know sword. it's a balance. Yeah. And I feel like things are really coming online now. This is June when we're talking 2021 and mm-hmm. I don't know. It's I'm, I, I still hold those truths of what I learned. And I have to also remember that we don't have to know exactly where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. I just know it's still, it's still changing. It's still going through this process. And it's not like we've just kind of turned anything off. We're still in this process. So I, I really don't know exactly how it's going to end up. Totally. How is it for you when you listen to your own music? <laughs> I, I don't I don't do that a lot, but you know one time I do do that is the rare occasions when I'm going to do some kind of medicine work, mm. and I'm either listening to a new mix of something I'm working on, or we're putting together, like let's say I put on music for mushrooms to have a journey, and that is a trip because uh, psilocybin in particular, it 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 turns your your cognitive abilities around, so I can't really figure out how I made it or sometimes even remember, and I just get to experience it. And then that's a very strange and beautiful, but strange experience when it feels like this bifurcation of yourself, talking back to yourself. And it's almost like the higher versions of yourself or the, the things channeling through this high higher self. And when I'm in the journey, I feel like a 10-year-old boy, essentially, who's just like the the very pure, nascent soul. And it's like, who is this other part of me? <laughs> yeah. It's so wild uh, to, to, to have that be like talking to myself and holding myself. If your 10-year-old boy, you age 10, could, could see your life right now and what you're doing, the work you're doing, the way you're living, the relationships you're having, where you're living, what would he think? What would he feel? He'd be like, what a cool dude. <laughs> <laughs> I told my uh, I have a nine-year-old uh, part-time stepson I call him because he goes back and forth, and I was like, "You have no idea how cool your stepdad is. You will, you have no idea." It's like I'm not a normal dude, and he's like, "Whatever," you know. I was like, "I hope that I would think that I'm charting my own path, and that's yeah. to be proud of." I didn't, I didn't, I didn't just uh, go into the square peg. I continued to be a circle. And that was painful early on. I didn't, but I didn't know. I didn't know anything of like what that, I had no reference or witnessing of that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a difficult path, but I think it's the only path really. It's just, it's the one of continually trying to find truth and your truth and, and, and just recognize the journey and that you, you make mistakes but that's kind of the point. So I kind of try to cut myself a little slack and be like, that is literally the point. So maybe be okay with that and keep moving forward and, and let go of it. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I think the emancipation, certainly for me as a creator and someone who loves putting things out into the world, especially when, Someone says to me, oh, that really, 
you know, whether it's that saved me one day or that gave me a new way of seeing, I know how important it is for me with all the artists, writers, teachers, people, parents, friends who've kind of done something for me that has kind of taken me to the next place. So I love being able to put back into that wheel because I always think of it as a creative wheel. You know, we're all worker bees putting our thing back in. Yeah. But there is an emancipation, certainly for me anyway, where you know that what you're doing is connecting with some people, even if not everybody, but for some, that that's something that I think shifted kind of that, I don't know, something shifted for me that kind of in recent years when, when I kind of landed more in that. And in a weird way, I feel like that takes away ego in an all new level because you're no longer doing it because you need to fulfill something or get over something or those stages are behind you and now you can just be in the the purpose of it and that is kind of like cosmic that's way bigger than any human desire or feeling or thought i can understand that and to be honest um you know there's a part of me that likes being in the spotlight and i I see that human part of me that's been there since I was a boy and I actually like honor it and say, Oh, these are the constituent parts that help me to do all this stuff. Like totally just like gifts. I'm sure we both have that makes us, it's a fuel in a way. And it's not even, it's not right or wrong. It's like, if you didn't have that and you were the opposite and you're like, I don't want to share anything with the public. That's beautiful too. You know, and that's just part of like, uh, how the stars aligned for you so you can do exactly what you need to do. And it's honoring each of our journeys, which are so, you know, when we fall into our gifts, there's a trust in that, that then it's now really part of the flow of the river. But we're all part of the same river. Yeah, and I think if you stay with your gifts, so, you know, like you said, you're willing to make the mistakes, you're willing to keep going and evolving. And it's funny, you mentioned Ram Dass the trickster aspect of Ramdas, And I wonder how that trickster aspect of his personality, um, how many times that hit him in the face when he was younger before he'd figured out how to blend it beautifully in his recipe. You know what I mean? Because I agree with you, those parts of us that we can all find in childhood. The thing I like about growing, growing up, growing older, growing, is just that we get a chance to re-blend our ingredients and create, hopefully, a more expansive formula for others and for ourselves of who we are. He was great at that self-deprecating ability to just like, that was one of his greatest strengths was being able to like show his own, show his own foibles. And mm. like, here's, yeah, and I had this thought right before I came up and like, and then, you know, using that as a lesson. But I like that idea of sticking with it because I think that is maybe a lost muscle these days, mm. generationally. It's sort of like if something's hard, a lot of people just give up yeah. and we go for the lackadaisical and say, I don't know, that thing was really hard. So I guess it doesn't work for me. So I'm just going to go back to like the YouTube videos, or, meaning like watching them, so to speak, or yeah, yeah. just not doing. And it's yeah. like sometimes things need to mature and continue to mature and that that there's only one way to do that that's keep chopping the wood you got to show up that's all you really have to do is just show up over and over again and let the process be what it will be ups and downs and lefts and rights but if you keep showing up 
that is most of it. It really is. Like people ask, they're like, how do you release so much stuff? I'm like, I don't know. It's just crack a little bit away. Cause I, you know, little, it's really just a little bit here, you know, regularly. Totally. That adds up. Totally. Yeah. So agree. Love it. So Trevor, thank you for, for being here with us today. And you know, a couple of the albums you mentioned by the time we air this show, they will already be out there in the world. Wonderful. So, um, so for any of you who've been watching or listening to this show, you can find all of Trevor's offerings at eastforest.org. And Trevor, it's been delightful. Thank you. Really nice to catch up. Really nice to hear a little bit more about your process. And from me, a fan of your music, thank you for the beautiful music that you are chipping away at every day that those of us get to hear in, in album form and otherwise. Uh, I, it's nice to see you again. Good to see you looking so vibrant and, and healthy and calm. And I really appreciate the support. Awesome. Well, thank you, Trevor. So head over to eastforest.org and check out some of Trevor's music and offerings. Thank you for tuning in to Impact the World, and we will see you next time. Own Your Value is my course for entrepreneurs, creatives, change makers who want to expand the work they do in the world. You know, I've done this for 16 years now, and one of the hardest things that I ever went through was learning how to own the value of what I did. And I think that's really human, especially when you first start working for yourself, but also sometimes if you're working in a slightly more esoteric field or the healing fields or the fields of the arts, it's how can we place a value on our work, both energetically, but also sometimes financially. and. The thing about money and energy exchange is people, myself included, will pay for something that they receive value and energy from. So one of the biggest things that you often have to work out if you are looking to expand your business is, well, how can I increase the value in the services that I'm offering to people? How can I get more behind that so that what they receive to them is inherently valuable? And this is true whether you're offering free work in the world, which we do a lot of, or if you're offering paid experiences for people. So Own Your Value is a few different things. It's a course that's designed to be a starter kit for those of you that are perhaps new to putting your own work in the world, but you want to find different ways to offer things, how you can expand your message, your services, your work. But equally, it's for those of you who might be doing this work part-time or you've just started and you know you want to scale what you're doing. You want to serve more people, reach more people, and also grow your mission. So if you feel that you would like to take your work, your mission, and what you're offering to the world to the next level, I invite you to check out Own Your Value and see if it resonates with you and if it's right for you. There are many different modules covered. It's all video and audio teaching, so you can access it anytime. And once you're in the course, you have it for your lifetime. Also, I'm running some live clinic calls where I will be speaking to those of you in the course about your direct questions and answering them in real time on live calls that will then be archived. We've had over 600 students go through the course so far and we're thrilled to be relaunching it at a time where I'm aware that many of you will be looking to expand the way you work in the world and the way that you offer your work in the world. We hope to see you there.